0: want to invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I've been telling you for quite a while that we would be beginning this study, and at long last we are. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. To many people, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most puzzling books in the Bible. And you may have noticed that this poetry book of the scripture is a favorite to be quoted by atheists, skeptics, and even for pop songs to be written about. And one of the reasons is, no doubt, because of the largely pessimistic tone of this particular book. Because of this, Ecclesiastes tends to confuse believers who have trouble reconciling it with the rest of scripture. Scripture. You'll see in just a moment, as we begin to read the text, that the author, the human author, is Solomon, and the book is the description of his journey to experience, ultimately, the disappointments of life. He goes about to experience everything looking for satisfaction, despite the favor that he had received in the form of wealth, power, wisdom, and many other things it's clear that life was a deep disappointment to him. Now, one of the things to look for in the book of Ecclesiastes is the phrase, under the sun. That phrase is used 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is a key to understanding what the book of Ecclesiastes is talking about. Because Ecclesiastes is really the expression of a man who is looking under the sun. That is, he is getting his perspective and his understanding for the purpose of life from what he can see and experience and observe here on this planet under the sun. But clearly, when your perspective is limited to what is under the sun, your perspective is cut off from the viewpoint of God. And so... As we study this book, we're going to really enter into the common thoughts of man who does not know or who has refused the perspective of God. And we're going to see a little bit about how men try to answer the key questions of life. I've titled this series, Under the Sun. I've titled the message tonight, Under the Sun, and we want to read verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1. To get our start this evening, the Bible says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever the sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he rose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returning uh, returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor... Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new? It hath been already of old time." which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Under the sun. In these first 11 verses, the author of Ecclesiastes shares with us the common perspective of man who is looking at life as it is playing out. He expresses three primary Thoughts which he's going to develop more fully all through the rest of this book. The first thought, which we find in the first couple of verses, is that the emptiness of life is expressed. The preacher says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is an exclamation. You'll notice that it's repeated in our text. It's an exclamation that expresses the way that many people feel about life. What's the use? What is the value in life? You know, it's a terrible thing when I hear of someone who has taken their own life. And there's a lot of different reasons why someone could get into that position that they would even consider taking their own life. But oftentimes, it has something to do with this that people get to the place where they're asking the question, what is actually the purpose of life? Life is so empty. Life has no uh, nothing for me. There's no purpose in living. The word vanity speaks of emptiness. It lacks any sort of lasting value. You know, the sad thing is many of the people that we interact with feel that their life is empty. It's vain. And of course, if you are trying to measure your life by the things that men say are significant or or are important, if you're just registering average on the bell curve, or heaven forbid, a little bit below average on the bell curve, then you are really not of any value to this world. You're not really contributing much. You're, uh, You're not that significant. And many people feel the sting of that. And they feel as if, well, I'm not going to be one of those high flyers. I'm not going to be an achiever. I'm not going to be a person who's going to be in the news or somehow draw the attention of the masses. So what is the purpose of life? Now, this evening, when you consider many of the things that people place value on, it is true that life is vain. Life is empty. The value that they are looking for is only temporary and it is extremely insecure. Now, throughout the rest of the book, the preacher is going to deal with these things that people attach value to and then give themselves over to achieve or to receive for themselves. And he's going to help us understand how empty these things are. And we'll deal with all these in detail as we work our way through, the, through the, the rest of the book. But understand tonight that he's making this primary statement, life is vain, life is empty, life is useless. He makes a statement then in verse number three, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? We know what labor is, right? It's when we give ourselves to work. And we do some sort of manual labor or some sort of mind labor. We give ourselves over to some sort of a task and we invest ourselves in it. In fact, most of you were probably doing some labor today. But if you think about labor, it has a curious way of having to be done all over again. So some of you ladies maybe spent some time today cleaning at your house. Wouldn't it be nice if you could clean it once and never have to clean it again if it would stay clean? I think at our house, it doesn't even last 10 minutes. You clean the house and then next thing you know, somebody comes walking through the house with dirty feet or one of the dogs knocks something over or something is out of place and you say, we just cleaned this. How could this take place in all labor? there is really the sense that there's not profit. Now later, he's going to say, in all labor, there is profit in a later chapter. But here, he's giving us this perspective that we give our lives to work, to labor. And what are we really getting for it? Some of you men are involved in building. Uh, you may be contractors or uh, involved in remodeling or something like that. Isn't it interesting that when you build something, it has to be built again. It has to be. It has to be reinforced. Uh, you'll come across maintenance issues and things that have to be dealt with. I uh, sometimes when I'm on visitation in some of these newer developments that are around the, the church building, and you'll walk up to the door and think this this house couldn't have been built. I don't know, 10 years ago, and look at the stuff that's already starting to fall apart. Look at the the trim, and look at the stuff on the front porch, and look, the roof is already starting to have problems, and inside it's leaking, and this is just the way that life is. When you work hard to accomplish a goal, you know for a fact that it won't last. I've spent a significant part of my life doing painting, both interior and exterior, And it's nice when you finish a paint job and you step back and you look at how it appears and you say, wow, that looks so nice. Okay, come back in a couple years. It's not going to look so nice anymore. Because in the profit or, or in the labor that we're involved in, there's very little profit. Now, this is because of something that we call the law of entropy, that everything is subject to decay and disorder. Everything in the world around us is falling apart. And of course, part of this is related to the curse of sin. And part of this is related to the way that God designed creation to clean up after itself. But we get this sense. In fact, some people have just given up. They say, why clean? Why paint? Why maintain? What's the the point of it? It's just going to have to be done all over again. I might as well just leave it the way that it is. What profit is there from my labor? Then he goes on in verse 4. He's still expressing the emptiness of life. And he says, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Now think with me for just a moment about generations. In your family, do you remember the people who were three generations ago? When I was a very little boy, I met both of my great-grandmothers before they passed away. My great-grandmother on my mom's side, that would be my mom's mom's mom. I only barely remember her. Because when we visited her, she was in a nursing home and at the very end of her life. And she was in very poor health, so there wasn't much. And I was just a little boy myself. I, I still remember my dad's grandmother. And that was his mom's mom. And I remember visiting her when I was a little boy. And I remember her funeral, or at least when she passed away. And one of the reasons I remember that is because she passed away just before my family moved to Pennsylvania to Lehigh Valley Baptist Church. And instead of coming here, we actually went there and then came all the way out here. And I, I sort of remember my great-grandmother on that side. But I never met my great-grandfather, uh, my great-grandfathers on either side, never had the opportunity to do that. And that's only three generations ago. If you go one more generation past that, I never met them. I don't know anything about them. I really know very little about their history. And I imagine that it's much the same for you. Now, some people delight themselves in the genealogies and knowing all the people in their family and understanding their family tree. But the long and short of it is, it's unlikely that you know anyone that's past three generations. If you're fortunate enough to be able to go back four generations and have met someone from that long ago, that's very unusual. And that's the perspective of the preacher here in verse number four. He says, one generation is passing away and then the next one is coming. So whether we like it or not, here's here's what's happening in life. You're dying and someone else is coming on the scene. And not too long, you won't be here anymore. And someone else is going to come up behind you who is probably not even going to remember you. And this is unsettling to people. To think, here I am trying to make a mark of significance, trying to to leave a mark on the earth, trying to somehow scratch out my place so that I'll be remembered by those in posterity. and And the actual truth is that probably... None of us will be remembered by anyone within a couple of generations. None of us. Think about that with me for just a moment. And he, he goes on to say that the earth abideth forever. And this, this is not to be held as an ironclad scriptural principle. He's speaking about his perspective. He's saying it, the earth is the same the earth continues on but there's all these people who are coming and going these people who are one generation is dying and another generation is coming along and it just keeps going like that and the earth is the same and we know of course that God is going to remake the heavens and the earth but from the perspective of a man under the sun the earth seems to endure while people come and go His perspective in all of this is that life is too short. Now, remember, he's talking about the emptiness of life, the emptiness of life. And he's saying that life is too short. Think about in this very, in this very place where we've gathered here this evening, think about how many generations have walked on this same piece of ground. We know, for instance, that in the not too distant past, this piece of property was a farm. And there were people who lived here, and the building next door was the barn where they kept their animals and their instruments for farming. And the house in the back was the place where they lived. And I've met some of the folks who lived in that place, or who had relatives who lived in that place. And they lived here, and they carried on their lives, and now here we have a church here. Before them, going farther back, this was a well-known area for the Lenape Indians to camp. And back here on the creek, along the stream bed, is a place where people will sometimes find uh, stones and, and tools that were made by these Lenape Indians who lived in this area and you think these were real people who lived and who breathed and who had dreams and families and they lived their lives and they're gone and they're forgotten to us but they were right here in the same place and this is what he's expressing he's expressing that life seems so empty when we could be in a place where other people have been and we know nothing about them We have no comprehension of what their life was like. Do you hear a little bit of the the pain in his voice as he's expressing that life is empty? The second thing that we see in this passage is that the repetition of life is emphasized. In verses 4 through 9, he takes great pains to emphasize that life is made up of lots of repetition. For instance... He, he speaks about how the sun, verse 5, the sun also ariseth and the sun goeth down and hasteth to his place where he arose. Over and over and over and over again, every day the sun comes out, up, the sun goes down. The next day the sun comes up, the sun goes down. And of course, we can set our clocks by the sun coming up, And going down, we we mark the seasons by the time when the sun goes up and the sun goes down, and it's just like clockwork. It's happened that way for centuries. Centuries ago, people stood in this very place and watched the sun come up over there and the sun go down over there, just like we do. And he says it's still going on over and over again. Then he mentions the wind cycle. He says that the wind goeth toward the south and turneth about towards the north. It whirleth about continually and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. What does the wind see? Did you ever think about that? The wind that goes blowing by your face when you're standing outside. How long ago was it that that breeze was in South America? And here it is by us. When was it circling over the Gulf of Mexico? And now it's here in this place. He's describing a circuit of the wind, and of course on the circuit of the wind, the weather patterns are formed. Changes in the environment that take place. Today we call it global warming or climate change, and for generations the wind has been circulating and And it'll go in different patterns and things that the meteorologist calls the jet stream and and these patterns that affect our weather dramatically. It's been like that for generations. Over and over and over again. I was thinking about a book that I read some time ago about the Dust Bowl. Back in the 1930s, I think, there was uh, a terrible a terrible dryness in the plains, Kansas and Nebraska, the panhandle of Texas and even farther south. And and, uh, I remember talking to some elderly folks who had lived through some of that. They were just children then, but they remembered what it was like. But in that book that I was reading, it said that there were times when the wind would blow so hard that it would pick up the topsoil from a state like Kansas, and would carry it on the the wind all the way to the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. And people were so alarmed because they would look up in the sky in Washington, D.C., and the sun was blotted out, and it was a weird color, and everything was looking strange, and they didn't understand what was happening. And then The scientists were telling them, well, that's the dust from Kansas. And they were saying, no way. But we just had a similar circumstance, didn't we? When the the wildfire smoke from western Canada came all the way here and affected the way that the sun appeared. You see, the winds travel on a circuit. They carry dust and debris and smoke and all sorts of things across the face of the earth. And they just continually swirl and whirl about. He talks about the water cycle. He says, all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. I mean, these are things to think about, right? The the Delaware River just runs right into the, the bay, And then that empties into the Atlantic Ocean, but the the ocean isn't really overflowing. It's not getting any more full. What's happening? Well, of course, we know that that water that flows in is picked up uh, into the atmosphere and it goes into the atmosphere and eventually that falls again as rain and as it falls as rain and onto the earth, it's absorbed into the ground and it flows into the streams and the rivers and back out into the sea and the ocean and then There's just this great cycle that goes around and around. So do we have to worry about running out of water? No, it's not going anywhere. Praise the Lord for that. Now, it can be drier in one place than another place. There's no doubt about that. But we know that there's a cycle of the water flowing out and returning again. This is an amazing feature of God's creation. Now, he uses the sun and the wind and the water cycle to remind us of something that is true. In verse 8, he says, All things are full of labor, man cannot utter it, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. We'll come back to that. Verse 9, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Now, he's talked about the wind and the water and the sun, because he wants us to think about things. There is a things cycle. And that is that life as we experience it now is very much like life was 1,500 years ago. You say, oh, come on, Pastor, we've got iPhones and, <laughs> and MacBooks and, and the internet and our life is so much different. No, it's really not that different. We have different technology and and there's different things that we deal with, like we have to fix our car instead of uh, repairing the, the wheel on the cart and and making sure that the horse is healthy. You see, yeah, there's some differences, but at the end of the day, we still struggle with the same issues of life. We still have the same problems. We still have a lot of the same burdens and cares that generations before us have dealt with. You see, the things that happen in life have always happened and will continue to happen. Now, this flies right in the face of a lot of people's idea that we're just getting better and better and better and we're solving all the problems of mankind. Well, not really. We might be solving some problems, but we're making some other problems. And at the end of the day, we still have this deep problem, which is, The sin problem. And so he says, look, life tends to be very much the same. We tend to think that we're unique. But generations before us have experienced the same things. Now, let me just say something here. This is why it can be so powerful for us to sit and listen to elderly people. Sometimes we look at an elderly person, especially someone who's become feeble, Perhaps they struggle to articulate the things that, that, that they've experienced or that they've lived through. But when you sit and talk with an elderly person, somebody who's been around for a long time, they've lived life and it's likely they have experienced things that you will too. If you sat and listened to them and asked them questions and let them talk, you might find that they've experienced things that are surprising to you. Things that could be valuable for you to learn from. Sadly, in our generation and in our culture, many people have no time for people who move too slow. And most elderly people move too slow for them. So we have an answer for that. Let's put them in a special place over here where they can do their slow stuff and we can do our fast stuff. Let's be in a hurry. Let's go here. Let's go there. And we forget. Listen, you go into a rest home, into a care home. Those are real people. They've lived real lives. They've gone through things that you could only imagine. Probably they've gone through things that one day you will face. It would behoove us to learn and understand That generations before us have experienced things that are very similar to what we have experienced, and we could learn from them. But now, he's getting ready to build on this thought, and this brings us to the third truth that he's expressing as he explains the expectation for life. The expectation for life is explained in verses 10 and 11. And here's what he says. Let's read verse 8 with it. All things are full of labor, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Verse 10, is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Now let's ponder what he's saying. First of all, the expectation of life is life is heavy. Life is heavy with labor and burdens. To put it simply, life is hard. We don't like to think of life in this way. We'd rather think of, especially when we're young, we'd like to think of life as a a, a, rose rose, Garden that we can skip through and and whistle and and play and be in the sunshine and everything's just wonderful. Isn't it great to be alive? Except it's not too long till you'll hit some hard times. It's not too far ahead that you're going to find some labor and some sorrow and some difficulty. And so he reminds us that life is full of labor. In fact, it's so full of labor that man cannot utter it. We we scarcely can find the words to describe how heavy life is at times. When we read history, we learn that previous generations have faced incredible hardships. We like to think, well, we're, we're living in an advanced age, so surely we won't face any hardships like that. To the contrary... It's very likely that we'll face hardships just like that. It's very likely that we'll go through difficulties just like those previous generations. And that's what he's expressing is that we, we have this grand expectation of life, but then we hit reality. When, you, when you're young and you're starting out in life, you have these dreams and these plans and these I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then reality sets in. And all of a sudden you realize life is a lot harder than it looked. Sometimes young people are critical of the older generation. Why didn't they do this? And why didn't they do that? Why were they so harsh? And why were they grumpy sometimes? And why, about, why did they respond in this way? Oh, just remember, young folks... You haven't been through the heaviness that they've been through. Sometimes those things that you look at and say, why are they that way? Is because they've been through unspeakable sorrow that you've never stopped long enough to hear about. You've never really comprehended that life could be that painful and that difficult. Now, he's saying life is heavy. The truth is, you and I are surprised often when we're facing labor and burdens. But we need to realize that this is just normal. This is a normal part of life. Listen, previous generations have been through incredible hardship. I remember sitting and talking to my grandma After Allison and I were married, especially when we would visit, we would sit and talk with her, my dad's mom. And my dad's dad's father died in an accident in the oil fields when my dad was 13 years old. His mom at that time had four children, and she was expecting a fifth. Her husband was gone, he went to work one day and he didn't come home and they had nothing they had nothing at all my grandma was a tough woman and she managed to work and pull something together and raise her children until the time that they were all out of the house and we respected her greatly for that for the hardship that she faced now she never complained She never breathed a word about how hard life was. In fact, to talk to her, you would think that everything was great. It wasn't until you started asking really specific questions that you would find things out about how difficult it was. To her, that was just life. That was normal. Now, you think about that. We don't expect to face those kind of things. We don't expect to face those kind of burdens or difficulties, but the truth is all around us there's people who faced those kind of things. Life is heavy. The second thing that he tells us about what to expect from life is found in verse number 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. This truth is there's no satisfaction that really lasts to your eye or to your ear. Nothing is going to make you happy. Nothing. You think, oh no, I'm going to be happy. If I marry that person, I'm going to be happy. If I live in that house, I'm going to be happy. If I could just get that car, I'm going to be happy. If If I can locate myself in this premier property and live there for the rest of my life, I'm going to be happy. Oh no, you won't. No, you won't. You'll get bored with it. You'll get to the place where it's not so beautiful anymore. You'll get to the place where it doesn't fill you up. That's exactly what he's saying. Your eyes can never be filled. Your ear can never be filled. In fact, you and I tire of the experiences of life. We only have so much capacity to remember the things that we've seen and heard. You've probably seen and heard some incredible things that you can't even remember anymore. The things will never bring you satisfaction. You made your bucket list and you think, if I could just get everything in the bucket and cross every item off, I will die a happy person. No, you won't. You'll still be unhappy. You'll still be dissatisfied because there's nothing that you could do or see or be involved in that's going to fill the void that exists inside of you. The third thing that he says that we need to expect is that things that are happening now have already happened before. There is no new thing under the sun. World War I was called the Great War. It was sometimes called the war to end all wars. Man, in his exuberance, thought, We get this war out of the way and we get these things settled, no more wars. How'd that work out for us? We've had a few major conflicts since then. And yet, man, in his exuberance, is still saying, I'm pretty sure we can solve this problem and we can have no more wars. I don't think so. Every generation that has ever lived has experienced war. I think there's a good chance that we'll see it in our lifetime. I think there's a good chance that the world tends to repeat history. It's one of those things, you know, that no new thing under the sun. We think we've got it figured out. We're more advanced. We're more culturally aware. Hey, listen, we, we've figured out. I, I love to sometimes listen to, to a new generation. Talk about how they've figured out all the ways that the older generation messed up. And they're like, you know, those people, they didn't know what they were doing. But we know what we're doing. Okay, so just mark it down. One day there's going to be a new generation that's going to come along and say, those people really messed it up, but we got it figured out. It happens over and over and over again. Generation after generation after generation. All right? Are you getting depressed yet? (laughs) Then he puts the cherry on top of the whole thing. And he says in verses 10 and 11... He reminds us there's nothing new. Everything has already been of old time, which was before us. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Here's the cherry on top. Despite the fact that there's nothing new and the things we experience are things that others have experienced, and there's so much to learn from them, still history is forgotten and few learn from the mistakes of the past. Sadly, you and I are not good at learning from the past. We tend to repeat the same patterns. You and I think we'll make a mark of significance, but it's unlikely that future generations will remember us any better than we remember the former generations. The truth is, we don't learn from history, and it's unlikely that the next generation will learn from history, even though, if you think about it, and some of you are further along this journey of life, you've got a few things to share. You've got a few things that you could point out, but if you're a little farther along in life, you've probably also noticed that the younger generation really doesn't want to hear it, because they got it figured out themselves. They don't don't want to hear from you, and the truth is, most of us have to learn the hard way. Most of us have to go to the school of hard knocks to figure things out, and that's generally because we're mostly too proud to ask counsel from those who've gone before us. Now, as you think about it, you remember the, any of you remember the 70s and the 80s? The, that weird orange color and the strange green color that was so popular. You could get it in your refrigerator, your couch, your countertops, your rugs for your house. It's coming back. It's coming back. Bell bottoms are coming back. You know, my wife and I have noticed is that all the stuff that was popular when we were kids is getting rehashed. And, and it seems to be like for the people who, who when they were kids, that's what it was, and now they have their own kids, and they're like, yeah, we want our kids to have the same thing. Except I think it's worse the second time around. <laughs> it's amazing how things tend to repeat themselves. And we chuckle about it, and we laugh. And it's funny how you'll, you'll look at something, and and sometimes... I'll be honest, you know, some of you who are younger than me, you say, oh, that's so dated. That's so, that's so weird. That's so, that's so old looking. That's so strange. Just hang on. It'll come back in style within a couple of years. Don't be in such a hurry to change everything. Right now, what is in style? White shiplap and gray paint, white and gray, white and gray. Everything's white and gray. I'm old enough to remember when white and gray was in. And then it went out. And now it came back in again. What will be next? Now, I digress to talk about style and the way that things appear. But this is a good illustration of how life tends to repeat itself. We tend to be on a pendulum swing. One thing will be this way, and then it will go this way, and then it will come back this way. And between the generations, we have to be careful about how we react, lest we overreact. All right, now get it in your mind. This is what life is like. It's empty. It's repetition. And really, life is just heavy and painful, and we don't learn much from the past. Now, would you agree with me? that he's describing reality, or at least reality under the sun. Now, what you're going to notice is that he's going to build on this all the way through. He's going to develop these ideas, and he's going to express about his experiences, and we're going to follow his journey. But not everything in the book of Ecclesiastes is under the sun. Because there are some glimpses that come to us from the perspective of God. And there's two primary things that I want to mention, which we're going to find as we explore this book. I'm not going to read the text where they're found necessarily, but I'm just going to point them out to you because we'll get to these texts as we go along. Two primary lessons that are good for us in the context of what we've talked about tonight to remember. First of all, is this lesson, you and I ought to enjoy the life that God has given us. God has given you a life to live. So many people are trying to live someone else's life. They're they're trying to be someone that they aren't. They're, They're trying to look like something that they aren't. They're trying to be an influencer and get their Instagram channel going. And so they're always taking their perfect pictures You go places, and and everybody's so busy taking pictures and posting memes and putting things online that they're not even experiencing their life. I mean, pay attention to what's going on. Listen, I'm talking to some of you young people. You're standing around talking with your friends, and you're on your phone. Are you texting each other? I mean, seriously, there's people in front of you. Put your phone down and talk to them. You come to the dinner table with your parents. Put your phone down and talk to the people that you love and that love you. Life is short. It doesn't last very long. But we're so enamored with someone else's life. We're we're looking at something that we think we want. That we forget to live the life that God has given to us. Right where you are, the life that you're living, there's some pleasure There's some joy. There's some love. There's there's some things that really matter for all of eternity. So live the life that God has given to you. He's going to talk about that. The second thing, which is even more important, and this is his perspective as he comes out from this cloud of under the sun. At the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. You say, I'm trying to figure out what life is about. It's so heavy and it's so hard and there's so much sorrow and it seems like it's just repetitious and it it seems like it's empty and there's not much value to it. Oh, no, my friend, there is much value to life. But there's the place of value Is in appreciating the wisdom of God. It is in coming to grips with the fact that when God gave us his commandments, they were for our good. They were for the furtherance of our life, for for us to be able to enjoy and to receive real satisfaction. So after he experienced it all, here was his conclusion. And it's good to think about the conclusion. In this case, it's good to read the last chapter. Before you read too many of the other chapters, fear God and keep His commandments. One of the reasons that this book is a favorite for atheists and skeptics is because they never quite get to chapter 12. They never really get to the end and come to the same conclusion. To them, they love to park on the sadness and the emptiness and the value, the, 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 the lack of value in life, and they forget that no, actually God, who is a good creator, made everything good in its time. He's given us this life to live, and he's given us a way to live it. And we ought to be careful to fear God and keep his commandments. So tonight, if your view is under the sun, one of the things we're going to try to do as we work our way through the book of Ecclesiastes is get your eyes up. We want you to see that God has a better perspective He has a real purpose for life. There's meaning for life. There's purpose. And there's something that he wants you to accomplish. The satisfaction that you're looking for, you'll never find it in the things of this life. But you'll find it in him. And is there a new thing? Well, there is one new thing. A thing that man... ...could scarcely imagine if God hadn't provided it and told us about it. Redemption. Forgiveness. The opportunity to be reconciled to the God of heaven. This is scarcely able to be explained... ...except for the fact that God has revealed it to us. And this, all alone, the gospel... ...the truth about Jesus... ...makes everything else possible meaningful. But without the gospel, it's all meaningless. It's all under the sun until it's under the cross. The truth is, you and I need our perspective adjusted, just like the author of Ecclesiastes did. Tonight, I hope you'll meditate on these things And I hope that you'll enjoy this study as we work our way through the book of Ecclesiastes and go forth with the purpose tonight to fear God and keep his commandments.